Welcome, Bird Gang, on today's show. Paul Calvisi joins me just ahead of his trip to Mexico City. That's right, Paul is going international. Also have to carry me as well as the voice is less than 100%. Cardinals and 49ers renew their rivalry on Monday Night Football south of the border. Time to preview Week 11. It's Cardinals Covered 2, Episode 617, and it starts now. Welcome to Cardinals Cover 2. Hit in the backfield and down he goes for a loss. J.J. Watt nailed him. Cardinals Cover 2 is presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. And by Arizona Cardinals Podcasts. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcasts. He's at the 10, at the 5, he's in again! Some more Murray magic! Wow! Here's Craig Grealoux. So all week long, we've been asking coaches and players how they're going to prepare, how to deal with the higher elevation in Mexico City. What we want to know, though, is how Paul Calvisi is preparing for the elevation 7,300 feet on Monday night. See, I had my own question. I want to know, where does the line form to get an autograph from the great Craig Grealoux after a hard knock? So he was pretty much the narrator on NFL films right there. I did hear Paul Calvisi's voice, though. I did. I just... Barely. A yeah, little bit. little bit. I was most definitely your sidekick. There's no <laughs> doubt about that. Uh, as for the elevation, you know, it's sort of like Flagstaff. I can't say I really ever notice it. I mean, there's been a few times where I've made the mistake to go out jogging in Flag, and, and you'll feel it after a little while. There's no question about that. But uh, do I have any firsthand experiences of delivering a sideline hit and being winded and having to stop down? And Jim Almohandro cut off my mic as I collect my breath. Uh, no, I can't say that. Um, so, you know, it will be curious to see how the 300-pounders deal with it. It's akin to going to Denver. But to your point, it's not Denver. Denver's the mile-high city. Mexico City is the mile-and-a-half-high city because that's essentially what it is. Uh, it's going to be a very unique atmosphere and experience for everyone for a bunch of different reasons, including the fact they've renovated the stadium a little bit. So it's no longer a capacity of somewhere around 120,000 people. It's going to be it's going to be far fewer in terms of potential numbers of fans. But unlike going to a Ann Arbor in a Michigan stadium, the big house, where it's sort of spread out in this big expansive bowl, it's much more the effect, especially being down on the field, of fans just being on top of you, nearly 100,000 fans on top of you. So there's no doubt between that and Monday Night Football and an international audience, it's going to have all the adrenaline and energy of a playoff game. That is my expectation. Closer to 90,000 in attendance on Monday. 6.15 is the kickoff, 2.30 pregame on the Arizona Cardinals radio network. And to your point about elevation, Vance Joseph on Thursday asked about the elevation, and he said, in different words, I'm paraphrasing here, though, about the elevation in Denver, it didn't really seem to help him out too well because he didn't win a lot of games in the Mile High City. So it is what it is. It's the same for both teams. The 49ers training in Colorado Springs this week, where oh. it is low 20s and Ouch. snow for them. The Cardinals staying in Tampa. They'll leave on Saturday. But with this game, Cardinals need it. They desperately need this win. Question is, who's quarterbacking this team to yeah. that victory? Once again, it's another week with all these questions, right? I mean, just questions everywhere. You go into that Rams game, think about it. Are you going to have your starting quarterback? No. Are you going to have your starting left tackle? No. I mean, you're going to have four out of five starters gone on the offensive line. You had a six-round rookie going against Aaron Donald. 
And then you look at the defense, you're minus your number one cover corner in Byron Murphy. The Cardinals were on their fourth kicker in L.A. I mean, there was every right before that game started to say the Cardinals are having a worse week than cryptocurrency. And instead, they went out and found a way. They somehow shut down the Rams. And, of course, John Wolford was a lot worse than Colt McCoy, so they won the battle of backup quarterbacks decisively. But as you saw in Hard Knocks after the game, a Colt McCoy, a J.J. Watt, let's turn this thing around. And right now they're doing it with numbers. It's not necessarily one guy. It's strength in numbers. And I think some of the experienced guys have definitely started to assert their leadership. J.J. Watt was an angry man uh, throughout that entire game. On the sideline, out on the field, the mics back that up. Uh, he, I think guys are just naturally gravitating towards him at this point in the season. Same with Nicole McCoy, whether he starts or not this week. He's definitely reestablished himself as that team leader. It's amazing how many different guys have said they've gotten advice from Cole McCoy. On whether, both sides of the ball. On both sides of the ball. So you realize... And Craig, this and look, we knew this to a certain degree just in talking to people last week, and it was verified by Hard Knocks that Cole McCoy is akin to a Carson Palmer or a Kurt Warner in this regard. The game plan doesn't start until he weighs in. He not only was the starting quarterback, he was the assistant offensive coordinator. And Cliff Kingsbury talked about that on his TV show this week, that Colt came in adamant we got to get rid of the ball quick. This is what needs to happen, A, B, and C, if we're going to have a chance to win this game. That was bolstered and backed up by hard knocks. And and that's really – I don't know if you can truly gauge the value of having that sort of experienced 36-year-old quarterback who's been there and done that and seen every defensive scheme, who knew those opposing coaches very well and hence had a great plan of attack going in. I wonder, though, can you have that same plan going up against a 49ers defense, number one ranked in the league – fourth fewest points allowed but it's a different type of defense with the Rams it was up the middle with the 49ers it's from the edge it's Nick Bosa on one side Eric Armstead perhaps coming back and being available this week it's just a little bit different to where all right if all things are equal and now if Kyler Murray's healthy he's starting but if there is any doubt then no Colt McCoy has to start yeah, and then you have Fred Warner, who's having an all-pro season. I mean, you talk about a heck of a third-round draft pick once upon a time. Their middle linebacker, that guy is everywhere. They'll bring him in the blitz up the middle. He gets out to the sidelines. In fact, you know, I'll match some of your stats, Gree, with this one on the Niners' defense, that someone did the analytics that when it comes to the middle of the field, the Niners' defense has allowed the fewest attempts, the fewest completions, and the fewest yards downfield with number 54 manning the mic linebacker position, Fred Warner. So to me, along with Nick Bosa, that's where you start. Now here's the thing. If you can actually get some time for Colt McCoy and or a Kyla Murray, that secondary has been ravaged by injury, and it can be had. There, you know, if, if, if you can get enough time to get receivers downfield, which means, okay, wait a minute, what if a Hollywood Brown is in the fold? Just the speed receiver, just another legitimate threat to go along with a DeAndre Hopkins and a burgeoning Rondale Moore. You know, it's intriguing because, you know, they went against the Chargers team minus Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. 
So all the respect in the world for a very highly rated and highly ranked Niners defense, but the Cardinals come in with far more weapons at their disposal than the Chargers had a week ago with the Niners coming off their bye. I'm going to go out on a limb and say Hollywood Brown does play, and that's just from listening to him speak. You were part of that group of reporters that asked questions, and it just sounded to me that he is ready to play, he is itching to play, and if it was up to him, He's on that football field Monday. And then what we saw on Thursday in practice during the open portion, the far reaches of the field. And in fact, you can go to at Paul Calvisi on Twitter and see some really bad videos. Some other people obviously had better equipment than I did and got some better angles and more zoom angles in there. But there was, don't bury the lead because there was Hollywood Brown. He was chopping it up. Uh, he, he was really picking them up and putting them down and then cutting. He was decisively because it's one thing to go north-south which is what we saw Kyler Murray do last week, for example. You saw him go north-south, but did we really see him go east-west? And, and that's what I was looking for with Hollywood Brown, and at least in the little bit they left open to the media. He was making some decisive, sharp cuts. So that, along with, I agree, the way he sounded with the media, I would, if I was a betting man, I'd say, yeah, I think you're going to see Hollywood Brown. You're going to see the one-two punch, maybe. Well, I don't know about Kyler, but you might see number two out there. Well, just the one-two punch of Hollywood and D-Hop. Something that we were, not promised, but we were looking forward to week seven. Didn't happen because in week six, Hollywood gets hurt, and then D-Hop comes back in week seven. So we've had to wait two and a half months for this one-two punch of wide receiver And you know who's been waiting and really the most anxious are those two guys themselves, especially Hollywood Brown. I remember in this very studio, he had the trade in round one of the draft. The very next day he met the media, he came in. We did a big Red Rage interview, and we talked at length about what uh, DeAndre Hopkins will do for a Hollywood Brown because he's always been wide receiver one his three years with the Ravens. Now, first off, they didn't really – you know, the emphasis in the Ravens offense is the run game and the tight ends. And, and really, he's like the third or fourth option during his years there. But when he was, when it did come to second and long, third and long, obvious passing situations, he would always see that extra defender. He would see extra coverage. Can defenses really get away with that with DeAndre Hopkins on the field? What does that mean for Hollywood Brown? How does that trickle down? And that was the one question I asked him in that scrum. And he said, yeah, he's as curious as anyone to see how defense is, what they're capable of putting around him and against him. Because, uh, you know, if he, if once again, if Cardinals quarterbacks have time, you figure you're going to get a lot of one on one coverage on Hollywood Brown. I just wonder, though, without Zach Ertz and him now being done for the season, that loss as far as mm. opening up the middle of the field, maybe spreading things out a little bit more. How much do we see Trey McBride, Steven Anderson, perhaps Max Williams gets elevated from the practice squad to the active roster? What do they do at the tight end position to kind of thing to make things a little bit easier for a D hop? and or Hollywood Brown. Yeah, can Trey McBride, can he just keep a defense on us down the seam? Will they respect him? Can, can he get an early completion to a Trey McBride down the seam that they then have to respect the rest of the game? Akin to me, you know, a Kyler Murray pulling it and running it early in the game to make a defense remember, oh yeah, look, I'll run for the sticks. You better account for me every single snap. Can they do that with a Trey McBride? And that right now, let's face it, is a huge question mark. You haven't seen it. You have not seen a lot of chunk throws, even attempts, much less receptions by Trey McBride. Max Williams, definitely expect him to play. I think he's going to be up. Steven Anderson, oh, everyone felt so bad when he dropped that ball against the Rams coming out of halftime. Really good dude. 
and 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 a guy who has a receiving background in his career in college, he was much more of a receiving tight end than he was necessarily a blocking tight end. Even listed as a receiver during his college career, so you know maybe you can shake that one off, and he can become more of a receiving threat. McBride just four catches this season for thirty-one yards, and then you look at maybe giving whoever there's the quarterback that time to throw. Well, you need to establish a run game. And that's the one area that there is, I guess, a big question mark because the 49ers are number one against the run. In fact, the last two weeks, they have held their opponent to under 60 rushing yards. Wow. Under 60. And now you got James Conner and Keontae Ingram. Those are your two running backs now with Eno Benjamin now with the Houston Texans. What do you do to establish that run game to allow a Hollywood and D-Hop do what they do best? And look, they shut down Austin Eckler, who, who's an above-average back. There, there's no doubt about it. He's legit. Yeah, that Chargers O-line was missing its two starting tackles. So, you know, there was that. Obviously, the Cardinals are going to be undermanned on the offensive line as well. So, yeah, it's going to be a task. There's no question about it. And you know what? If you go back to the Cardinals' win on the road at the Niners – and by the way, there, there's a couple of things the Cardinals do. They always win at Levi's. I think it's six out of eight historically at Levi's since that building opened. And they've won 11 in the last 14. Correct. Since 2015. Man, think about that. But that Week 9 win a year ago, 31-17 at the Niners, the 2021 season that completed the sweep of the 49ers, You know, James Conner ran for 4.6 yards a carry, 21 carries for 96 yards. He had two touchdowns. He also had that 45-yard touchdown catch and run, buck 73 from scrimmage. So, And the Cardinals as a team ran it 39 times for 163 yards at the 49ers a year ago. 4.2 yards a carry, whereas the Niners ran it for only 39 yards in that game. I mean, that was the ball game right there in, in so many ways. Because Cole McCoy, really, it was, it was run first, pass second. He went 22 of 26 for 249 and a touchdown. A buck 19 was his passer rating. So if Cole McCoy is the guy this week, you got to figure that Niners defense remembers real well what the Cardinals did to him at Levi's. 30 rushing attempts has always been that magic number for Cliff Kingsbury because if you get to that 30, you're going to win, at least over the last two seasons. Cardinals have only rushed the ball 30 times once this season, and that was on the road at Carolina. Last week was 26 times, but it was within the course of the offense. It wasn't forced, but it kept the chains moving. They stayed on schedule, and the run game just kind of it elevated everything else, but it's it's not so much the yards per carry, just the number of rushing attempts to keep that defense honest. And think about that. That's after the Cardinals started that game in L.A. with 11 straight passes, and they still ended up with 26 rushes in the game, just enough to keep the defense honest. Different games, different opponents, different defenses mandate different schemes. So what will the Cardinals game plan this week for Monday night against a Niners defense that, to your point, plays a different style of defense. Uh, you know, I mean, you had a Jalen Ramsey, for example, traveling with a DeAndre Hopkins. Didn't stop D-Hop from catching 10 balls. Eight of those receptions were against yep. Jalen Ramsey. So that was pretty mar- remarkable. Cardinals did not hesitate to throw number five's way. That Niners secondary doesn't have that standout number one caliber cover corner. So what does that mean exactly? But once again, it, it's going to start with staying stout up front. And, you know, especially you saw the adjustment from the Rams in the second half. They went away from the big cushion on the outside receivers to playing more press man, which is another reason the Cardinals started with 11 straight passes. My understanding, talking to some guys, they saw it on film, the Rams the week before. That's how they got victimized by Tom Brady. He just kept taking what they were giving them. 
He kept throwing it to the perimeter. If you're giving me five yards on first down and I can have second and manageable, absolutely, I'm going to do it every time. You saw it by the Cardinals, especially that first drive. Uh, but once again, uh, you know, you don't have a Niners defense that will bring numbers a whole bunch. They don't have to. They'll rush four, they'll drop seven, and they'll try and flood those passing lanes and make it that much more difficult for a quarterback to read and react. All right, now let's switch it up here on Cardinals Cover 2, presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. As we look at this Week 11 matchup, Cardinals and 49ers from the defensive side of the Arizona Cardinals because, again, this is, what, two months, two and a half months into the season, Paul, and this is the first look at the 49ers, who do have a familiar face, and that would be Christian McCaffrey. Cardinals' second look at the former Panthers running back. And you remember, in that game, Cardinals did a very good job at slowing down. And basically, McCaffrey was nothing in that game. Yeah. Only 27 rushing yards, which still remains a season low. Like a lot of those number one receivers they've gone against this year. Hashtag non-factor. And I think the real key was not letting him get to the second level. If he gets to the second level, if he just gets a little bit of space, look out. He's so fast. He's so quick. He's so elusive. So like any great running back, if you can uh, avoid him getting started, don't allow him to get ahead of steam because he will run it through the tackles. He's not the biggest guy, obviously, but he runs with those pads low, has the ability to catch the ball, not only just out of the backfield, but downfield. He can be a threat. We even saw him run it, uh, throw it, that is. So, you know, he is that triple threat in a lot of ways. Here's the thing, though. Elijah Mitchell, he, he closed out that game against the Chargers, and he's a young back. As uh, Vance Joseph said, he's a tough out, meaning he is physical. He's got young legs. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't hesitate to run through you if that's the direction he takes. So it's a nice two-headed monster in that rushing attack right now. And then, of course, stinking Kyle Juszczyk, the fullback who always vexes the Cardinals. If I'm seeing it correctly, he's tracking the play. And so Kyle Juszczyk, oh, man, I think what is it about Kyle Shanahan and the Cardinals and Kyle Juszczyk? He always figures out a new innovative way to use number 44 against the Cardinals, and he always inevitably makes some sort of big game-changing play. Well, we think we we were expecting McCaffrey. You expect Mitchell, who's back his first game last week since week one. And, of course, yeah, then all of a sudden it's more Juszczyk, and that will be the difference in Monday night's game. But this 49ers offense, they're running between the tackles a lot more than they have under Kyle Shanahan. So I'm looking at that Cardinals defensive line. I'm looking at J.J. Watt playing more inside. Lucky Fotu. Let's see if he can't have that coming uh, that, that, that breakout game this season from that nose tackle spot. Yeah, You have a, a Niners rush offense that just posted a season-high 12 rushing first downs against the Chargers. And, and you know how it works with Kyle Shanahan. You know, as Vance Joseph says so well, he'll try and ungap you before the snap with all the shifts and the motions and the jet sweeps. And he's messing with your eyes this way and he'll run it that way. And so if they can just get a little bit of an angle on you, and that's where the experience of a J.J. Watkins is going to come in. Zach Allen played a heck of a game against the Rams. The two of them have been really stout. You know, I think the real question is okay, when those two guys aren't in the game, because there is a rotation along the defensive line. You, you know, so we'll see if they're able to, to get some on certain series. If all of a sudden that run game is starting to hit, the first thing I always look at is, wait a minute, who's in the game exactly? Because uh, there is a drop-off once you get 99 and 94 out of the game. And then, of course, is Zayvon Collins, who we've seen a lot on the edge yep. recently. 
But so a Ben Neiman, a Tanner Vallejo, you know, is that middle linebacker, someone who just has the ability to read and react, the, that recognition, because that still is a challenge. I'd say if there's one challenge for Zayvon Collins here in year number two, it's still going against the McVeighs and the Shanahans of the world who will mess with you horizontally, laterally, and then, boom, stoke it straight north-south. And, and he, you know, Zavin has had his issues with that. He's growing. He's getting better. It's got Isaiah Simmons at times, too. And so a lot of fans wonder, oh, geez, why are you seeing Ben Neiman out there getting all those snaps? Well, that's why. Because it's more important to be in the right spot than it is necessarily to be 6'4", 270, and be out of the spot. And so that's what's key as those two young linebackers continue to evolve. You never want to see your secondary leading the team in tackles because that means that there's third-level reach for the opponent. Yet at the same time, Buda Baker does live near the box. Antonio Hamilton had 11 tackles, 10 of them solo last week, but a lot of those, according to Vance Joseph, were in the run game. And how much do you kind of load up the box when you also have to pay attention to Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel? Yep. George Kittle? There's a uh, stat out there. I don't have the exact numbers. doesn't really matter. But the Car- the Cardinals are facing the number one yards after catch offense in the NFL. 7.3 yards after catch is the average for the 49ers mm-hmm. pass catchers. And it makes sense, right? I mean, Debo Samuel is one of the toughest tackles in the league. Brandon Ayuk, just lightning fast. He's so slippery. He's elusive. George Kittle, obviously, will make that catch and bang off defenders and stay on his feet with great balance and size and strength. So, you know, to your point about Antonio Hamilton being a real sure tackler as a corner, yes, every one of the Cardinals defenders against the Niners, you better bring, you know, the willingness to put a hat on a hat in this game. Don't wait for the other guy to make a tackle because guess what? If you do, not only might that, you know, they might break that tackle and then look out. And that's what the Niners are counting on. That's where they've been really successful. But to your point about Buda Baker and Antonio Hamilton and the DBs being the leading tacklers, I think that's three straight games now because it was Buda twice and then Antonio Hamilton in this game. And it, it definitely raises an eyebrow when you look at the final box score. Why are DBs consistently becoming the leading tacklers? But you're right, Buda Baker is in the box quite a bit. Antonio Hamilton, according to Vance Joseph, made a lot of tackles in the B and C gaps. Okay, that's the way they're they're being deployed. But still, you'd love to see one of your inside linebackers be your leading tackler game in and game out because that's usually the way any scheme is designed. We have seen Zayvon Collins lead this team in tackles. I would have no problem if that was the case on Monday. How about Isaiah Simmons? Challenge Isaiah Simmons to cover George Kittle. Now, he has to be targeted. This is interesting because the tight end has given the Cardinals defense fits all season long. They've done a great job stopping the run on a somewhat consistent basis. They've held number one wide receivers basically non-existent, but it's the tight end position. Cardinals defense allowing the most receptions, receiving yards, receiving touchdowns to tight ends this season. Yet at the same time, Paul, George Kittle last week against the Chargers targeted a season low two times, had just one catch for 21 yards. So the Cardinals defense has allowed the most receptions, receiving yards, and receiving touchdowns to tight ends this year? Wow. But it's not – remember two years, three years ago, this was a topic, a oh, hot topic of oh. conversation. Vance was asked about it every single week. Yep. But that's because nothing was working defensively. Different story when you take away option one, two, and three, 
and the only thing you're left with yeah. is option four, i.e. tight end. And it's not like, and I might be wrong in this, this is just strictly the eyeball test. Like we all do. We watch these Cardinal games and just it feels like a lot of the big hitters to tight ends this year have been via the tight end screen. Yes. Oh, not another tight end screen. I mean, you can just feel the angst on the sideline when the opponent hits with another tight end screen. So it's not necessarily poor coverage downfield. It's maybe poor gang tackling, getting to the screen, getting to the man, you know, and and recognizing that, okay, wait a minute, I have a free run to the quarterback. Why is it so easy to get to the quarterback? Because there's a screen out in the flat or there's a middle screen to the tight end. You know, it's that football IQ that, that is being tested. On this uh, on this Cardinals defense, at times, and you're right. When it was really a problem a few years ago, you got the draft pick of Isaiah Simmons, and remember that comment. I think it was from the war room, where Steve Kimes said to the cameras, the embedded cameras, uh, one of the uh, you know Emmy award winning efforts from the Cardinals, and he said something along the lines of, "Okay, there you go, Vance. There's your guy to cover the tight end." And even Vance said it earlier this season, and I'm quoting him loosely: "Isaiah Simmons was drafted yep. to cover the tight end, and George Kittle, front and center, because he's in your division twice a year." Vance has called Simmons the eraser. He can be that player who erases big plays. We've seen it at times, Paul. We just need to see it on a more consistent basis. He had a great play last week, getting that hand in the way, the deflection into the arms of Buda Baker for the INT. So Simmons does have the ability. You just need to be able to see it first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter. When I asked my Jay Sanders after the game in the post-game radio interview, I said, what did you have to show the coaches to earn more playing time? And he said one word, consistency. That, you know what, uh, you can show the ability for the big play, but what really concerns the coaches, what they're really worried about, and ultimately determines your playing time, is are you apt to give up the big play? Are you a liability in that regard? And and that has been the knock on Isaiah Simmons even earlier this season. Vance Joseph said something akin to that. Hey, Cliff Kingsbury said that after the Kansas City game, that you have to eliminate the mistakes, the splash plays are there. Okay, can you do it down in and down out? Can you be reliable and consistent? That's what my Jay Sanders had to show these coaches. And I don't know how many exact snaps he ended up with because I noticed him mostly second and long, third and obvious passing situations. But, man, did he maximize his snaps in that game against the Rams. Pash Wolf called his name a lot. My Jay on the field for 21 snaps for the second straight week, but it was the percentage, a season-best 35% he played of the defensive snaps. So you're seeing him play more. You're seeing Cameron Thomas play more. Victor DiMuchegi has seen his snap count go down. Dennis Gardeck in his first action back after missing some time because of an ankle injury. Six snaps. Does that go up, or do you stay with those young linebackers? Well, and especially if you're in the elevation, guess what? I think you're seeing all of them, honestly. It, I don't know what Kyle Shanahan has up his sleeve right now as he practices in Colorado Springs in the snow and 20-something degrees, and I'm sure a lot of the players are cursing the name of their head coach right now, all in the name of getting some elevation training, the altitude training up there at about 5,000 feet in Colorado Springs. But uh, look, if the plan is to go into Mexico City with an elevation higher than Flagstaff and use anybody and everybody available to you and just play defense in waves – and stay fresh so by the time you get to the fourth quarter you're not getting worn down especially by a Niners run game I would not be surprised if that's the strategy employed by Vance Joseph you wonder about the substitution pattern because typically on the offensive side 
there's not much substitution outside of the running back and wide receiver. But defensively, do we see more guys rotate in and out to your point that typically there's four or five players that always play 100% of the snaps? Is there this week no players playing 100% of the snaps? I would guess yes, honestly, just based on the elevation and and um, you know just everything else that's going to go in. The adrenaline's going to be flowing. You know, guys have a, a tendency to get so fired up early in a game on Monday Night Football with an international audience. That, you know, maybe they just uh, they save them from themselves a, a little bit. But it's a deep Cardinals defense in a lot of ways. Now, is Byron Murphy going? Because if he does go, guess what? I, you know, you're. You're deeper at corner than anyone ever imagined. Trayvon Mullen got a number of snaps in, in that Rams game. I don't know how he graded out, but he was out there quite a bit. And so, and we we know the ability of an Isaiah Simmons to drop down into the slot. I think that's the highest percentage of his snaps yep. this year. I've been in the slot. So there's a lot for Vance Joseph to scheme up in this one, no doubt. It is the fifth and final international game in 2022. Paul, do you have any? I know the team is leaving on Saturday, so you do have all day Sunday to do whatever you want. How much sightseeing does Paulie, yeah, touring guide do over the weekend? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, we might go out what to the Mayan ruins. Maybe there's a, a world-renowned anthropology museum not far from the team hotel. Is my understanding? Sounds like you've been around Ron Wolfley too much. Wolf needs some culture. He really does. Uh, anything? You know what? He dragged me to Charles Dickens' desk. Uh, you know, and then uh, and Edgar Allan Poe and Baltimore. I so. Uh, guess what? Uh, you know what? He owes me one, so I'm not exactly sure what's what's going to be on tap. But this whole international thing has taken off. In fact, there's there's word we might get Roger Goodell on the pregame radio show on Whoa. Monday night leading up to Monday Night Football, and we're going to ask him about the fact. Reports say, the NFL said, they could have sold 3 million tickets in Germany. Think about that. Now, I saw a report when the tickets went on sale in the offseason that Ticketmaster reported they had over a million people in queue trying waiting to buy tickets for that single game you saw the scene in munich tom brady's doing the post-game interview and they're singing sweet caroline and and belting out you know other songs uh john denver was was a favorite who knew john denver in munich but between that and the the nfl's appetite to continue to grow internationally you know mexico there are nine teams with marketing rights including the cardinals London, you know, they've been staging NFL regular season games since 2007. Germany, they consider now Europe's top market. Uh, And then there are also designs on perhaps even going into Brazil. Think about it. France, perhaps. They're actually looking. I saw an NFL official quoted as saying they're looking into France, maybe even Sweden. It's remarkable what exactly. I mean, 10 years from now, what will the NFL look like? There's been some talk of an international division in Europe. Yep. Not sure I necessarily buy that. I think it's more likely that teams get two bye weeks and everyone plays an international game, and then they have a slate of games with different teams and different venues across Europe, and then guess what? That becomes its own TV package that you sell to Sky Sports and the BBC, and that's where you reap the billions in TV and media money. Uh, You know, you sell it to the streamers, and so I think that's where this is all heading, and Based on what Roger Goodell, and we'll ask him about this on Monday if we have the opportunity, he said that there were, they're slated to play four games in Germany over the next four years, starting with this year. He said there's a real good chance that could double. They could just, in the offseason, they could elect to play a lot more games real soon in Germany. Wow. And then 
It's it's always the travel though, and how much that plays into the factor as far as you know. It's it's harder for West Coast teams. It's easier for East Coast teams. But it's fascinating because you're right. This these five international games, counting Monday nights, have been huge success across the board. And here's the thing with Azteca Stadium, Estadio Azteca. Uh, they say this could be the last. NFL game for a while because the venue itself is going to undergo extensive renovations for the 2026 World Cup. They've done some renovations since the Cardinals were there in 05. They've reduced the capacity. They've put in uh, family sections and suites and so forth. Uh, So I'm curious to see what it looks like. But it's cool. For everyone who's going to this game, you know, like once again, 7,300 feet, you get up to the venue and the stadium itself. You can just, it just, reeks of the history of soccer and and you, you know some of the biggest sporting events in the in world history literally have taken place inside that stadium uh, just the atmosphere how raucous they were two hours before kickoff anyone who kicks a football is an automatic rock star we talked to Matt Prater about that this week we talked about the possibility of attempting a 70-yard field goal and shattering the NFL record it, Neil Rackers was hitting 70 yarders in pregame in 2005, and the elevation is higher than Flagstaff. So the potential is definitely there. If there's a scenario, say, like the end of the first half, and there's going to be zeros on the clock, take a chance. Take a chance. Let her rip. And and, and we know Matt Prater has the leg. Should be a lot of fun. 615, Monday night football, Mexico City, Cardinals, and 49ers. And yeah, hopefully by then, Paul, the voice, my voice, will have. fully recovered because right. right now I might be listed as questionable along with half a dozen other players. I mean, Gree, right now you're no bueno. Let, let's hope you're not hasta la vista, you know, by the time we get to Monday Night Football. Vamos, let's go. You gotta you gotta get to 100 here by the time we get to game time. Sounds good. And on that note, we will put a lid on this edition of Cardinals Cover 2 presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. As always, special thanks to our executive producer, Jim Almohandro. For Paul Calvisi, I'm Craig Riolu. We'll talk to you next time here on Cardinals Cover 2.